0: It's Cofield & Company, live from NBA Summer League at the Thomas & Mack. Jonathan Bontobo, Willie Ramirez is here as well, and it is time for the best part of your day. It's time for Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking
1: forward to the week.
2: Do I, do I do the Steve Cofield, like the really over-emphatic, like, yeah, at that time? Um, I, you might ask, me, I'm not really a fan. You heard it. Jonathan Tobel, Willie Ramirez along shortly here, and here is the Thomas and Mack Center. Uh, we've been on the road all week long, so Thomas and Mack Center is the spot. Last three days for Summer League play, so make sure you come on down. Uh, always, always a great event, and always a great deal for anybody who is coming down. Uh, one pass gets you all day. You can go Wilcox Pavilion, check in all these games, everything there is to offer. Um... It's a very, very fun time. You know me. I'm an NBA nerd. I love the NBA Summer League. So make sure you come down. And if you do, we are right at Portal 13, about Section 101 or so. You can come by, say what's up. Danny, who is here running the show, uh, will turn you away because we're famous and incredible. But still, you can come by and say hi from a distance.
0: It's the three on Cofield and Company. The final
2: days of the NBA Summer League, Willie, I am uh, I'm broken up about it. This is the last bit of basketball uh, from the NBA's perspective. We still get, of course, the WNBA to watch for quite a while. But I, I, I feel somewhat sad and depressed. The fact that the last of my true love, outside of my wife, the NBA is not going to be around for very long. I've got a limited amount of time to take in all of the guys and new players, second-year guys, and dudes who have some improvements in front of them. I'm feeling a little down.
1: It's a melancholy kind of day for you. Bittersweet. Um, how, how did you get out of here early so you could get all the action? Or?
2: Today is actually the latest I showed up. Now, <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> No, nah, because I had some professional engagements that I had to take care of. Well, you know, look, we have multiple things we got to do. We're professionals in this industry. We all it goes. I mean, I, I'm.
1: I mean, I, I mean I, it's. I don't like sweating, and unless I'm inside of a gym, That's right? And I've got beads of sweat forming. It's very hot out there. I've been at the Raiders facility, racing over here. So we have. Professional commitments, just like just like these athletes that are on a schedule, yeah. especially the rookies. Some have to come up for signings at the at the at the at the autograph booth,
2: the Panini uh, autograph, uh, booth. the Panini yeah.
1: autograph. Otherwise, uh, other other um, others have media. We have appearances we have to make.
2: So I'll tell you what. One of the biggest things. So this is uh one of the dangerous things, and you reminded me of this, right? So there's been many times in my early years of, like, you know, working and doing, like, UNLV pregame and all sorts of stuff Yeah. that, um, you know, you get here a little tight in terms of your schedule. Right. Right? And when it comes to getting here a little bit tight, you got to rush. And I am a big guy. And before I knew the layout of the Thomas and Mac, I would walk up the stairs. Uh-huh. Like right here. And by the time he got to the top of the concourse, oh, boy. Perfect.
1: Well, here's the thing. Sucking wind. The first couple of times I came here, I found spots just inside that smaller lot by the Mendenhall in the Cox Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. And today I pull in there, and not only is that filled up, but there are cars treating the – so if you loop around on the the second loop, they're sitting there like it's a drop-off or pickup area. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I'm sitting there, wait, and I'm honking my horn, and they're just, they don't care, they don't care that I got a radio show. Really? So I ended up parking, in general parking, but I'm way by Swenson. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, and the right calf is strained a little bit, so it was a, it was a nice little. You know what? Uh, I got, I did get a pump in, got, got, went to the gym, got a little bit of workout, but that right there was, was a workout in its own right.
2: Uh, we're gonna talk about it more, uh, but trust me i got to pump in today, too, buddy. I'm in. I'm in, huh? I'm in. This is going to be a good journey. Now, I wanted to open the show. I kind of wanted the theme, right? I talk about being melancholy with the NBA Summer League. Yeah. Uh, Emotion, kind of part of the open and what we're going to talk about here. Right. Uh, Emotion was, right, the story with the open earlier today. Are you you an open guy or British open guy? How do you refer to it? I go, we won the war in 1776, British open.
1: Okay. You know what I mean? I I don't really – I guess I refer to it as the British Open. Right? Yeah.
2: We're, we're pig-headed Americans. That's how we do it. Um, Tiger well, Woods.
1: There's no reason to abbreviate it yeah. the
2: Open. Tiger Woods crossing the bridge, misses the cut, waving to the crowd, very emotional, St. Yeah. Andrews, his spot. Yeah. What'd you make of Tiger? And it seems like a farewell, but it's not the case. I mean, I get it with the cycle and everything like that. We don't know if he's going to play at St. Andrews again. There's the emotion behind it. Uh but it seemed oddly
1: goodbye esque for a guy that we know is still going to be around. It, it did. It seemed like, why did. And my question was like, okay, when he first, like, when, okay, when he won the Masters a few years ago, right? And then, but, and then these recent comebacks, the yeah. entourage, the crowd, it's been the same. Mm-hmm. Today, it seemed different as they stood up, the roar of applause because he, you know, he just sunk his head in to his hand wiped the tears, was emotional, and it sort of gives off the sense like why, you know, I get it, you're appreciative of the love you're getting, right. but why are you so emotional? Is, is are, Okay, what's next? Are we going to hear that this is it?
2: Nah, I think, I think this is more of like, look, like he's clearly physically limited now because of the accident that he was in. Um,
1: but didn't we see that the last time? Yeah, we
2: did. I think more it's, and here's the other thing too, is he's going to be very limited, I think, in the tournaments he participates in and only very special courses like Augusta are going to be the ones that attract him in terms of playing. And it's going to be few and far between when we see Tiger. So I think a lot of people in those stands right in that moment, are they, when are they ever going to see that guy playing golf again in front of them? And I think that probably went into it. You know what I mean? But it did seem weird. It did seem a little weird. Also, he doesn't make the cut. That was a big sports gambling story because he at one point, I don't know if you saw the reports this weekend, he played a practice round at, at – um, over there at St. Andrews, by all accounts, played extremely well over the weekend in his practice round, full 18. He goes from – he become, he closes as an odds-on favorite to make the cut, which ultimately he doesn't. Closed 60-1 to at Circa to win the whole thing. Like, there was a rush of support for I Tiger. That, yeah. yeah, the books. Uh, we know that, of course, over at BetMGM, a $4,000 bet on him at 40-1 to win the whole thing came down early on. Um, but ultimately, doesn't even make the cut. So, we'll see. I think he's just – it's just an emotional thing, and we're going to be very limited in what we see it's there. Sort
1: of, it's, you know, it's sort of like what I'm expecting Sunday, like when the, the final horn goes off and then the championship. and then as the you, rings? As you walk. No, no,
2: no They're getting me. rings.
1: They're getting rings. Yeah, they're getting rings, but forget about them. As you walk through the tunnel, no. <laughs> the tears, yeah. your hands on your yeah. eyes. Saying goodbye to people who saying, don't know who I am. Yes. Like, I yeah. could do, see, yeah. just, now, Waving to the crowd. Speaking of saying goodbye,
2: where were you before you got here?
1: I was at the Raiders facility.
2: Now, why were you down at the Raiders facility, Willie?
1: Well, another illustrious career. Illustrious, notorious, same thing. Uh, a career. A career. Uh, Richie Incognito announced his retirement yeah. from the NFL, 15 seasons, over the course of 17 years. Of course, he had briefly retired, then came back, um, and he wanted to retire Raider. We got the, we got the, we got the heads up last night that something was coming down, and to be at the facility for noon. And uh, Richie came in, and he had uh, a lot of the offensive linemen and teammates. Mark Davis was there, his agent, some family members, and – said goodbye to the NFL.
2: Um, It's interesting. We're going to hear in the 5 o'clock hour a little bit on what uh, Mark Davis had to say about Incognito. Uh, And like you said, uh, notorious is a pretty good word when it comes to Richie Incognito's career. Uh, It's one in which there's a lot of things to visit on when it comes to Richie Incognito, which we'll talk about as part of the Big Five. Uh, But the Vegas Raiders, of course, it's a local story, also a local story, kind of building on the whole emotion and excitement and everything else, uh, is the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights entering their offseason season and had some stuff, and we got some things that came down, but we also want to talk about some other angles on that, too. We're going to hear from Kelly McCrimmon on the other side. So let's take our break here, Ari, uh, a little bit early, sort some things out, too. Uh, But when we come back, let's hear from McCrimmon on multiple topics, including uh, why the Max Patch Ready trade and more here on Cofield & Company live from the Summer League.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.
3: When I found out that it was Carolina, the GM called me. We spoke briefly, the GM of Vegas, and then uh, got confirmation. So um, once I spoke to everybody uh, about kind of where I fit in, it was really exciting to join an organization like this and a team that's trying to win right now.
0: Now back to Cofield and Company, live from NBA Summer League. All right,
2: we're going to do something that I love to do, which is mercilessly roast Ari for a second. Okay. Willie Ramirez is here, Jonathan Vontobel, uh, last day of a company takeover. So before we come on the air, Ari, our esteemed producer, you know, a producer's job lets us know, hey, this is what this clip is that you're going to hear right now. Yeah, you're about to hear uh, it. And uh, he goes, hey, this is a rejoin. It's Max Pacioretty. He actually called them Patches like he knows them. Like, get over it. Come on, you don't know him. Uh, this is sure. Patches talking about joining Carolina and takes a shot at the Vegas Golden
1: Knights. He did. He said it's kind of a shot. And so uh, – you just heard that. And he say, "He says, you know, that's, that's trying to win. Right. It's per, like, if Ari was writing an article <laughs> and then showed up at a press conference, like, he would get lambasted if the person walked in and be like, why did you take my quote out of context? Right. Because what he said was, when I got the call, it was nice to hear that it was the team that is trying to win right now, meaning hmm. they're in win now Content. Mode, Just like <laughs> yeah. Vegas is in huh. win mode. No, he could have been asked to be brought into Like if he was going to the Red Wings, right. they're not in win mode now. So, but it was not a shot at the Golden Knights. I was stirring st- the pot. I'll take it one Willy. step further. I'll take it one step further. I think it's a shot at Carolina. A team
2: trying to win. This team's been to the playoffs multiple times. What he's telling them is, yeah, you've been trying. It's cute. Well, now I'm here to save your bacon. How about uh, that?
1: Well, no, then that's a stretch, because it. because 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 we all know that when in hockey, what we've come to learn is that when they use that phrase, they mean the cup. No, of course, Lord's <laughs> Stanley Cup. And Ari, when we speak about or on you, unless you're invited in, do not cut in again. Ooh, okay, boss. Wow, Willie, you your numbers eight now of my bosses, I think. So cool. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll zip my list. Yeah, but I'm number twelve on the pecking order, so that's I'm safe. way Let's down. The there. Best dressed. Actually, Natalie's one. got Natalie's pretty good dresser,
2: so. He's got a good outfit on today. Sorry. Navy blue theme today for uh, for Willie. Yeah. Good look, good look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, first off, I know you uh, you posed the question in the rundown. Uh, so I'll ask you. I've been searching the news wire. Doesn't really seem pretty stat- pretty uh, status quo on the Vegas Golden Knights front in terms of new moves. Yeah,
1: there's no fallout. There's no, you know, there's nothing really that's devastating. Um I think the, the just the question marks are you know it's just it's it's the normal ridicule from the, um, the from the fans as far as unloading somebody when they're uh, and not getting anything in return. Kelly McCrimmon, of course he spoke yesterday after Riley Smith did Riley Smith who was finally signed to his contract and McCrimmon talked about why trade Max
4: there's a lot of different permutations that you go through when you're trying to create space we looked at different options we you know identified this as being the best path to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish the people that we wanted to retain sign Riley as I mentioned uh, the raise is due to our young players Keegan Colasar was the fourth RFA that I failed to, to mention so you know the need was there, and that was their path to get it done.
2: Would you like them to come out and say, yeah, we just kind of screwed up on asset management. We had to dump them. We
1: haven't been able to manage money. Right. Um, the, we, we are somewhat equivalent to, like, what Enron is. We just... <laughs> well, you hope it's not Enron. <laughs> <laughs> it...
2: Imagine you wake up tomorrow and like, oh, by the way,
1: Vegas Golden Knights no more. It's Sorry, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> it's a dumpster fire. We just can't afford anything. Yeah. No, that's not, that's not nice. That's not even fair to say that. Um, but... Now the question is, yep. with their leading goal scorer gone and such a high-octane guy, um, you got Mark Stone, you got Jack Eichel now. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot on the timelines, you know, oh, it's time to time that Jack Eichel step up. It's time that he – okay, relax, people. If you go look at his stats, did you know that last year, and even though he got here, in, you know, or he got here, he had a surgery, he didn't play till February. Right. So in the shortened time, if you ratio it out, regardless – Last year was the first year in his entire career he finished with more goals than assists. He's a top-notch center because he creates offense. People, so those of you are like, he sucks. He can't score. He's well, he's not really known as a goal scorer. He's known as a pass maker. He's known as an offense, a playmaker that makes passes. He's the point guard. So, next question to Kelly McCrimmon, what's up with the scoring depth?
4: I think we do. I think that you'll see, you know, when you look around, you know, it's interesting. You look at the Stanley Cup champions. Uh, if you go through their last offseason, no one lost more players than the Colorado Avalanche. Right. So uh, it happens everywhere. Teams have to make decisions. Teams can't keep everyone. It provides opportunity for players. You see what uh, it looks like. If you feel that you need to make changes during the season as you get towards the deadline, you give consideration to that at that time. But uh, we're comfortable that we're uh, in a good position to uh, to start.
2: Is that a fair comparison? I mean, I, I'm look. I don't know the inner workings of every single transaction made by NHL teams. Yeah. But we're talking about losing players for the Vegas Golden Knights because of poor asset management. Uh, I don't think the Colorado Avalanche lost players last year because of poor
1: asset management. Right? They're not they're not forcing guys right. out of the out for of the nothing. Lot, and, and for nothing, and not to mention just not just anybody. Right? But you know. Over the course of time, right? Nate Schmidt's been gone. David Perron's been David Perron's got a ring. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Flurry, gone. Right. And now match packs ready. So the the roster turnover when you look at who's won and lost certain trades, you know, it's it's easy and, and fair to say that the other teams have gotten the best of the Golden Knights and take advantage of their financial situation because they've had to dump salary
2: and you don't look you don't want to murder them we've gone over the poor asset management for a while now but it's also part of it too is you're not just you're getting rid of guys that seemingly are going to be very valuable pieces for the teams that they're going to you mentioned you've mentioned alluded to it a little bit many feel carolina is a winner this offseason for many of the moves they
1: made including getting patch ready for future considerations right and 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 the guys that they've been getting rid of that's been enhancing other teams were shiny new toys that they went out and got in the first place mm-hmm. so you know for you, you know in the expansion draft the winner obviously the top pick was Mark Andre Fleury they they went and got Paul Stastny they went and got Max Pacioretty i mean these guys are gone and uh, and they went that, that and, and partly so they could go get other shiny new toys. They didn't get Max. Pa- they didn't get rid of Max Pacioretty so they could go get somebody. They had to dump him because they got Jack Eichel. Yep. So now, the next question to Kelly: Re- Restricted free agents who haven't re-signed yet. What is the update? You don't know for
4: sure. We've had good discussions with each player, like each player, have good relationships with uh, their representation. So, you know, we sure anticipate that they'll be signed and you will be contributors for our team.
2: Okay, pretty short, sweet. We expect that that's going to happen. I think that's the expectation. I think that's why you get rid of this, right? You you dump the salary you because the you, expect, salary, yeah. you, you expect that you're going to resign these guys. I don't think there's really any worry that that's the case.
1: Right, and, I, and, and the number one priority at that point in time was Riley Smith, and we talked about this. Yep. Is, I think that's why he was so calm and patient every time we talked to him. It's why he didn't have an agent. He just kind of – I still think behind the scenes, behind closed doors that he – they were. He was spoken to. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna make some moves, and it's not gonna be you. Mm-hmm. We gotta dump big salary. It ain't gonna be you. You're gonna be here. You're you're part of this. You're staying because it was just he was just way too calm and cool, and like I'm not worried about it. He doesn't go get an agent to manipulate or to negotiate for him. So I, I, I'm not, you know. Now the big question aside from that is, are they done in free agency?
4: We're continuing to monitor what's going on around the league, you know, continuing through the free agency process. And, you know, you're always, uh, you know, keeping a pulse on on what other teams uh, are doing. I can't tell you that we uh, will or won't make another move. Uh, We're pretty close to being where we will most likely end up, I would say.
1: Pretty close, I mean, because they don't really have a choice, right? yeah there's not a lot of room maneuver for this team there's not, but that's just it with this team is you you never know what they what they do what they're going to pull off what they attempt to pull off and you know here's one thing that I will say that I'm not convinced that they're not done with i i I wouldn't put a pass in that I, I don't know if we're done with the goaltender situation Yeah. There's, there's there's for me i i don't it would not shock me in any bit that's the one area where it's, if we see a complete shakeup you know, I mean, guys shake are getting.
2: Shake up, being Leonard gone. Yes. Okay.
1: Absolutely, shake up meaning Leonard being gone because I think Logan. Tom- I think Logan Thompson could be the one. Um, I just don't know. Well, it's you know what that's that's hypocritical. It's hard for me to say. Well, he could. He needs to wait because he he bided his time, mm-hmm. and I thought that he proved himself down the stretch last year, and I thought that Peter DeBoer was between a rock and a hard spot. Sources within the organization. Um, Media sources that are dialed in have said that that Capitals game was that crucial Capitals game that Leonard started. Then he was yanked after first period. DeBoer was told to start him, and then, but before that, on a road trip through Canada, I believe in Winnipeg, DeBoer said that he just didn't feel comfortable. He thought that he he was off. He didn't see Robin Leonard. He didn't feel like he was watching top-notch Robin Leonard. And that's when, he, to him, he was, it was revealed to him in his own mind that Leonard wasn't himself. So he wasn't ready to put him in net, but he was told to. So Logan Thompson was whipped in. And, and I think that, again, he's proven himself. You know, we kind of run up against situation. We talked to Alex Petrangelo about this last year at the time because he was part of the St. Louis Blues team that was in last place in the entire NHL when in January when they went on a run And won the Stanley Cup with a rookie goaltender in Jordan Binnington. Could it be compared to? Could it be the same situation if they would have made it into the playoffs? And they said, "Well, it makes the analogy make sense, but there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that that don't match up, you know." Base, but that. So that all said, I mean, you'd never know if that rookie, that young guy, is ready until he actually plays. So what are we waiting for to find out if he's ready? We saw what he's capable of doing. He's got to be in the pressure cooker in order to handle the pressure. Right. So you go get a guy who's a veteran, who's got some years on him, but you can still kick the tires on him. And if you need to use him, then he can step up for that short term. But he's the guy that's not good for the long term because he's going to wear down his body. And then you have Logan. So maybe if you have Logan Thompson in there is the one. You have a veteran to sort of back him up and sort of backstop him. Right. And then when he goes stale, give Thompson, he'll be sort of revitalized. And I'm not talking about a, a goal goalie by committee unit. I'm just saying that when Thompson needs that mentorship or needs someone, a veteran, to come in and spark the, the team, you got him. So that's what I think. So I'll ask you. Yeah.
2: Because, you know, look, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a metrics guy, all that kind of stuff. Sample sizes are your best friend. We're talking about 19 games last year for Logan Thompson. Uh, goal against average 268. You know, if you adjust that, 273. Not the best in the world. So some okay numbers and 19 games worth of sample size. Because you're not the only person I've heard this from. That like Logan Thomas or Thompson, excuse me. You could turn this over to him. He could be your number one going forward. And there's a lot of course anti-Lehner sentiment, which a topic that is
1: a tale as old as time when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knight fandom. I. Uh, Yes. I, they're not stupendous numbers where you're going to say, okay, how well did this guy do compared to the best of the best? But if you go to the, and I know which sites you're looking at because that's one of my favorite sites plus their subscription service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you filter out on NHL.com through our media center where you can actually break down the dates and compare him to others within the time frame, he was competing, number. his numbers were competing with the best of the best in what he did in that short period of time. But you talk about, you know, again, this is a kid that was thrust into a situation that he wasn't expected to be thrust into because they had Robin Leonard, Laurent Bressois, and all of a sudden you go from being the backup to the backup down the street in the Dollar Loan Center with the Silver Knights to being the guy You'd have to expect some things. But, I mean, you look at the competition that this kid faced throughout the, the, the his, his time. He, he played against Nashville. played against Columbus. He played against Winnipeg. Florida was the President's Cup winner. Minnesota's always been in a thorn. At Winnipeg, tough games. You know what I'm saying? So these were tough situations um, that he was in, and he won. Let's see. He went on, like, a nice little five-game winning streak, won six of seven. So, I mean, he lost three straight shootouts. Um I, I'm just not holding – I'm not going to hold his numbers against him when the guy was up against it in a pressure-cooking situation. I think he proved himself.
2: Well, we'll see. We've got plenty of time to see if anything else comes down in terms of the Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, if there are more moves to be made, we'll, of course, keep track of it here on ESPN 1100. And, of course, Fox Sports 1340, eight nine FM. We'll take our break here. When we come back – Uh, Let's go north of the border. Josh Lewenberg, TSN 1050, is going to join us. The Raptors were one of the teams that were rumored to grab one. Kevin Durant, where are they at in terms of their lust for KD? Josh will break it down when we come back.
0: Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.
3: My first phone call if I'm Sean Marks is to the Toronto Raptors to see if I can get Scotty Barnes because all I'm doing is I'm canvassing the league for the best under 23 players in the league. What teams have them and what teams can trade them and others and have enough left in the cupboard for Kevin Durant to look around and say, I can still win here. I don't think they have a package that's not Scotty Barnes-centric that gets them Kevin Durant.
0: Now back to Cofield and Company, live from NBA Summer League. You hear the voice of Zach Lowe
2: there on NBA Today. That was actually a few, quite a few days ago uh, when the news first came down. First call, Toronto Raptors, yeah, team that was sniffing around there. And at one point in the betting markets was actually, depending on where you shop, the second choice in terms of the team to land, one Kevin Durant. Uh, Josh Lewenberg, Toronto Raptors NBA beat reporter, nice enough to give us some time today, TSN and TSN 1050. Josh, uh, we appreciate the time, uh, so we'll jump right in with this. Uh, So we get the DeAndre Ayton news yesterday. Offer sheet gets matched by the Phoenix Suns. Seems that the Suns are kind of out of the running here. Uh, What has gone on with the Toronto Raptors in terms of their desire to land Kevin Durant? Because it seems to have quieted, at least from a noise standpoint.
3: Yeah, no, certainly. And even being in Vegas the last week or so, it's been eerily quiet to the point where, like, initially I'm thinking, okay, well, is this just the calm before the storm, before something big happens? And because the Ayton Domino hadn't... Uh, fallen yet and pretty much if phoenix was going to get something done and certainly if they're going to get something done now it would have to be through a multi-team trade as we know those are complicated things to, to to line up at one point it seemed like okay well maybe that was what was holding everything up but no i think the quiet from everything i've heard is just simply based on The fact that there is no traction with the Raptors or with any team right now in the KD sweepstakes, everything seems like Brooklyn's asking price remains really, really high, understandably so, given the asset that they're sitting on with Durant on a long-term contract. And then it seems like the offers, the Raptors included, have been underwhelming for Brooklyn, so there's a pretty big gap there between what they're looking for and what they're actually getting. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what they're looking for, at least from the Raptors, from what I'm hearing, it's Scotty Barnes and or the maximum haul of unprotected first-round picks. And my sense is the Raptors are unwilling to part with either of those things. Scotty Barnes, for obvious reasons, being that he's the reigning rookie of the year, a guy that they feel is a budding superstar in this league and somebody that they feel like can be a foundation for their franchise for a decade plus. And with the first-round picks, I mean, we we know how dangerous that can be when that goes wrong, you give up uh, five, six, seven years of of control when it comes to your first-rounders. And when that goes wrong, your your franchise is crippled for nearly a decade. And I'll also mention that Masai Ujiri, if you look at the body of work there, he has never given up more than one first-round pick in a trade as long as he's been with the Raptors. So it would be pretty uncharacteristic for him to go all in when it comes to picks, even for a guy like Kevin Durant. So, yeah, in terms of the Raptors, there's definitely been preliminary conversation there, but nothing, that, at least from the sense that I get, that's close or certainly not imminent.
2: So you mentioned Masai Ujiri, and you, know, you go back to that Kawhi Leonard acquisition, and I think you could argue that was not like the, best, like the biggest package in the world, right? Parts of that bench mob that they had back in the day, um, and really like, some competition, and it looked like a pretty sweet deal for Toronto. Outside of Scotty Barnes, you know, like OG Ananobi, for example, had been rumored to be part of that. Do you think OG Ananobi's value just isn't there, or is it just that Scotty Barnes is so good that Brooklyn just wanted that piece because he looks like he could be a cornerstone?
3: Yeah, like, I think, don't get me wrong, I think Brooklyn would love to have OG Ananobi back in this deal. I think a lot of teams in the NBA want OG Ananobi right now, but I think in Brooklyn's mind, they're thinking of this as like, okay, well, OG can be the second or third guy in the trade, not the guy that you're building the trade package around. And that's why, like, let's go back to Scotty Barnes, for example. Um because it's a really divisive thing, even amongst Raptors fans right now, is do you give up a prospect? Do you give up a young guy for, obviously, a proven commodity, a future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players of all time, in Kevin Durant? And let's say in a hypothetical universe, you could trade Scotty Barnes for KD straight up. I would actually do that, or I would argue that the Raptors should do that because you're hoping Scotty Barnes becomes the type of player that KD already is. And at the end of the day, this is about winning championships. KD puts you in a position to do that right away. If you could do the one-for-one, one, it would make sense. The problem, of course, is that the CBA exists. You have to match salary. You can't do the one-for-one. One. KD makes $40-plus plus million dollars. Scotty Barnes makes less than a quarter of that. So if you are trading Scotty Barnes, you then have to include probably O.G. And, and maybe even somebody like Gary Trent on top of that. So you're already given up a ton in terms of your actual roster, the roster that, by the way, you need to keep somewhat intact if you're going to compete for a championship with KD. And then, oh, yeah, also probably all the draft compensation that Brooklyn is going to want. So that's why I just think, like, I don't see any scenario in which this gets done now or in a month from now or in a few months from now in which Scotty Barnes is involved it's just a question then: if, can you work something else out? Can you meet somewhere in the middle? And that's where the Kawhi comparison is interesting to me. Not because I think, listen, you're not getting KD for anything that's even close to the price right. that they got Kawhi for. And there were circumstances there with the question marks surrounding Kawhi's health and his contractual situation. But the Spurs at the time refused to rebuild. Pop wanted to win now. They had a rebuilt, and they probably should have, considering they're doing it now four years later there were other packages that were better than what the Raptors were offering in terms of young players and picks, but the Raptors were offering, at least in San Antonio's mind, the best player available to them at the time in DeMar DeRozan. I wonder if at some point Brooklyn says the same thing. We know they don't have a ton of incentive to bottom out because Houston has their pick for the next half decade. If that's what they're looking for, then could you, if you're the Raptors, build a package around Pascal Siakam, an all-NBA player in his prime, and maybe that with a few picks and, like, Gary Trent might be something that makes sense for both parties. That's really the only avenue I could see to building a deal. It's just a question of, I mean, obviously a question of whether or not that's enough for Brooklyn and a question of even whether the Raptors would be willing to part with Pascal Siakam.
2: So the other aspect of this, too, is uh, let's, whatever the deal is, let's just say for the sake of argument, it gets done one of the uh, early reports that came out that said KD, because we know who the two teams you wanted to play for were, uh, Miami Phoenix, uh, there was a report out there that, Phoenix, that he was warming up to the idea of playing with Toronto. Uh, I have made the argument that if Toronto was going to go after Kevin Durant, if there was a guy in Masai Ujiri in the front office and a head coach and Nick Nurse, those would be the two guys that would convince Kevin Durant to buy in over the course of potentially this four-year deal. Do you get that sense of that, that relationship kind of warm, that Kevin Durant, if this deal were to happen, would be open to kind of playing out this four-year extension? He would buy into being a
3: Toronto Raptor? Yeah, I don't think that's a huge concern, especially not if you're Masai Jury, Bobby Webster, and this Raptors front office. They are supremely confident, and they have a reason to be. They're one of the most well-regarded organizations in the league certainly was not always like that in Toronto, and Raptors fans know that well. I think NBA fans in general know that well just based on what this Raptors organization used to be. But for the last decade in the NBA, they've been one of the most well-run organizations. They've had a lot of success. Um, And KD, for whatever it's worth, is on the record as saying that the Raptors were a team that he rooted for growing up in large part because of Vince Carter uh, in terms of what he's looking for and what he wants. Nobody really knows for sure, but KD's a competitor. He wants to win championships. And that's why I say it depends on what they give up. If they could somehow make this deal and not lose Scotty Barnes, certainly if they could somehow make the deal without losing Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam, I think that's what you sell KD on more than anything else. Is Hey, this is a team that's in a really good position to win championships over the next few years um, It's tough, though, and I will say, if if teams can't sit down with Kevin Durant, and right now that's the situation, maybe at some point Brooklyn decides to open things up and say, okay, well, KD, you can meet with this team or that team or whatever, but if you can't make it meet with KD and you're just blindly making this deal, you're not on his very short list of preferred destinations, that's really tough. And probably enough to be very reluctant to part with your best offer, all of your first-round picks, whatever. Um, I don't think you feel great about that. If you're Toronto or any other team other than Phoenix and, and Miami, that was basically the risk that the Raptors took with Kawhi. They didn't know whether he was going to come. They didn't know whether he wanted to play there. They didn't know certainly if he was going to resign in a year from them. They didn't know what his health situation was, and that's why the price was what it was. So, yeah, if you could get KD – at whatever the equivalent is of DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and one first-round pick, you do that in a heartbeat. I just don't think that's going to be the situation, and I don't know if you empty the tank and push all of your chips in when it is a gamble. Yeah, he's under contract for four years, but the way the NBA is right now, this day and age, I don't know if you're confident that any player is going to honor a four-year contract. Things change so quickly, and yeah, there's definitely that risk if you acquire KD, of him showing up, maybe not showing up at all, but showing up and deciding in a year from now that he wants out or he gets hurt, and then you've given up all these picks for him. So it's a big time risk for the Raptors or anybody else that would be making the trade at the current asking price.
1: Speaking of Josh Lewenberg, Toronto Raptors NBAB reporter, TSN Sports, Jay Lew, that's LEW1050 on Twitter. So let's move on from KD. Um, So I saw saw a report um, that the Raptors could possibly reach out with the Jazz, maybe disrupting things, maybe reach out for Bogdanovich. But I'm curious because I don't. I'm not buying into any superstar on the Donovan Mitchell level that wants to go play for James Dolan. Does, Does anybody want to go play in the Madison Square Garden for the New York Knicks? Of course they do. Who wouldn't want to be in the Big Apple? But to play for Dolan is another thing. Is one of those two names, could that be an option that they go after if they miss the big prize with KD? I mean, Donovan Mitchell's not a bad grab. I
3: would be really, really surprised if it was Donovan Mitchell, I, I could see them potentially making a move, but I think it would be a smaller one. The Bogdanovich situation is interesting. One, because Utah is very clearly lining up to, uh, to, to rebuild and probably to aggressively tank next year. So they're looking to trade their best and Bogdanovich. I, I mean, he checks off a few boxes size-wise, like 6-8. That fits in with this vision that the Raptors have where everybody is – 6'8", six, six, somewhere in that neighborhood, and, and certainly addresses a need in terms of shooting on this roster. Defensively, I don't know if he makes a ton of sense with what they're currently trying to do, because everyone, as I said, while size is important, I, I think also skill set is important, too, and basically everyone on this roster is a plus defender. Bogdanovich isn't a bad defender. I just don't know if he's at the level in which the Raptors would be like, yes, this is this is the fit. We're willing to give up serious assets for this guy. Uh, another name that I'll mention, because I know this is a player that the Raptors checked up on at the trade deadline last year and were told no, uh, Jakob Pertl, the former Raptor, who we were talking about earlier being in that Kawhi trade, he would look real nice on this team right now as sort of a more of a modern, tra- modern uh, big man, uh, a center with the Raptors. I don't love the idea of having a traditional big, but Purtle is really oh, good defensively. Really He's mobile. Um, it just depends on what the price is there, too, because San Antonio, I think, like Utah, is looking to unload pieces. But I just think at some point for the Raptors, listen, they're really committed to this young core and developing this group. At some point in the next few years, this core is going to get really expensive. And at some point, you probably do have to look at consolidating some of these pieces and maybe picks to go all in on a star. I just don't think they see this as being the right time. When a guy like Kevin Durant becomes available, you have to at least consider it. But I think the plan all along has been to keep this group together through this summer, allow them to have another year together and develop, and then maybe next year is the year that you – next summer is you go all in. I, I think they really like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who right now is, is – um, developing in a, in a system that I, I don't know is, is long for, for his services, right? Like, if they continue to lose there and he continues to develop into a star, at what point does he say, I want out? So that's the thing with a KD trade or a Donovan Mitchell trade is, is you don't get another shot at this, right? You're putting in so many picks and so many players. Once you push your chips in, that's it. So the Raptors have to decide – is this the right time to do something like that? And is this the right player to do it for? Or is there somebody else that we want to wait for?
2: Josh Lewenberg, again, Toronto Raptors NBA beat reporter. Josh, you do great stuff, man. Really appreciate the time today.
3: All right, guys. Take care.
2: Anytime. TSN Sports, TSN 1050 Radio. All right, we'll take our break. We are co the company live from the NBA Summer League.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from NBA Summer League.
2: Well, something good's happening for me. Let's just say that I need – I would really enjoy the Clippers winning this game, not just because of my fandom, not just because of my fandom. I want every 1-2 team, Willie, to win their games today for one reason or another, except for – the Indiana Pacers, because they are taking on a 1-2 team, I would really like an Indiana Pacers blowout of the Washington Wizards in the Summer League setting. Summer League is the spot, though. Come on down. Love the NBA Summer League. Last few days, of course. Uh, tomorrow, the penultimate day, Sunday, uh, a couple more contests on the schedule, and, of course, the championship contest will be decided. Speaking of hoops, Willie, we've got, what, 12, 13 games left in the WNBA card for teams, depending on the schedule, where it's at? Yeah, so it's dwindling yeah. quickly. So let's talk a little aces. We uh, saw them beat the tar out of the New York Liberty the other day, early contest. Um, The way their schedule shakes up, got quite a few matchups left with the Indiana Fever, and there is the potential, as it breaks down, um, to end the year on a relatively high note. Primetime matchup with the Connecticut Sun coming up, actually on Sunday, Uh, and then after that, It kind of breaks up a little bit. Indiana-Los Angeles, two games against Indiana-Washington, and then some road contests against Dallas and Seattle before they come back home for three home games to close out the year. For a team that went into the second half on a little bit
1: of a lull, what are you expecting in these last 12 games or so? I'm expecting to see what we saw in the second game in New York. Um, For the most part, now that said... Maybe not 12 made threes in the first half? Well... (laughs) You know, so let's break this down, okay? Um, they will next play at the Connecticut Sun, mm-hmm. who, who was the first team to hand them a loss in Las Vegas. They have the reigning MVP in Quell Jones. They have a veteran, scrappy point guard in Courtney Williams. They have a veteran with Alyssa Thomas. That threesome alone—that's like a—that's a, that's considered that's an NBA big three in the WNBA. So. Sunday is not going to be easy Mm -hmm. to close out this road trip. They return home and they get one day off to rest and they got the Atlanta Dream. Now Atlanta's a scrappy club um, in the Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference has some teams outside the Indiana Fever that are vying for some wild card spots. I don't see Atlanta being able to come in here. The good thing for the Aces is they're not going to be looking ahead to the Indiana Fever. They're not going to be looking down the road to the Los Angeles Sparks. So they can really focus on you know the next two games getting by connecticut in connecticut and getting by the atlanta dream then they host the league worst indiana fever the la sparks are coming to town who have some talent um i've spoken very highly alexi brown they still have liz Cambage, and but they should not lose so in reality over the next four games they should be three and one if not four and oh they go on the road back-to-back games in indiana again the league's worst team they should sweep those as long as they're not overextending themselves and they're wearing and they're not looking past for a rematch with the Washington Mystics. Elena Deladon, Natasha yep. Cloud, they came here and they beat the Aces in overtime. They got a five-game swing on four cities because they go to Indiana for two, Washington for one, then they play in Dallas, then they play in Seattle. Dallas is in the Western Conference vying for a Western Conference wild card. Not an easy team to get by. Um, they can challenge Vegas. They did a little bit here. They played them tough. And then Seattle, Seattle's got titles on, on, you know, they've got rings. they got Brianna Stewart. They've got Sue Bird. They picked up Tina Charles when she said, you know, when Phoenix bought her out. So that five-game road trip, it gets harder increasingly to Indiana, then Washington, then Dallas, then Seattle. And then they finish out at home, Atlanta, Chicago, Seattle. The last two, again, they come home to play Atlanta, a team that's going to be gunning for a playoff berth, this time, though, instead of not looking ahead to Indiana and L.A., depending on where the standings are looking, they could get caught looking ahead to the defending champs because right now I think Chicago and Seattle are the two best teams in the league on the big-picture complexion over the last four weeks. Mm-hmm. Chicago out of the east, Seattle out of the west. Um so it's, it's more a, lo- a matter of their mental game. Now, if their mental game is intact and their confidence level is on high and they can play the way they played in New York. Now, again, they're not going to play 40 minutes of you know uh, offense and defense, both sides of the court, like they did against the likes of Connecticut, Washington, Seattle, Chicago. But if they can play with the same tenacity, they most certainly should go – at least three and one in, on these next four games, they should at least go three and two. That would put that at six and three. They should finish the season. Let's just say that they that worst case scenario they go one and two. Yeah. So now they're seven and five to close the season, but they can win three of those five games. So ten and two, ten and th- uh, ten and two, nine and three to close the season. Um, Seattle is going to be the thorn as to who gets the number one seed in the Western Conference.
2: A name that has been brought up to me from a betting standpoint, double digits in the range of 12, 13 to 1,
1: Washington. And Washington has been the most profitable team in the WNBA from a yeah. betting standpoint, and they have a ring, and I think that they have a chip on their shoulder because everyone's talking about Connecticut and Chicago in the Eastern Conference and not Washington. Interesting.
2: All right. I'm going have to make another... I got... Uh, I got Vegas at plus 250 to win the WNBA title. That is nice. the, That is the only investment I have so far, but i would to take a splash for Washington. A little bit of uh, proven talent there. All right, we'll come back. We get the second hour of Cofield and Company with our football frenzy. Uh, the deadline has passed. Some of these guys that uh, have not signed their franchise tender, we'll get updates on those in both Kansas City and Cincinnati.